Welcome in to another edition of Home Run Throwback. I am Jimmy Morris, joined as always by Easton Freeze. Easton, how are you tonight? Doing great. Jimmy, how are you? Doing well. Uh, before we get started, as always, remind you this is a Broadway Sports Media podcast. BroadwaySportsMedia.com is the place to find all of your best Titans coverage. Obviously, we will have plenty of recap from today's game, today's win over the Saints, and then looking forward to next week's division showdown against the Texans. So be sure and check that out. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at JMorrisMCM. Easton is at Easton Freeze. And as always, you can find this podcast, Home Run Throwback, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search the name Home Run Throwback. You'll find us there. All right, so this game today, I mean, the Titans come away with a win, which is obviously the most important thing. It was ugly. I think if you were being realistic, you expected it to be ugly. And so as long as Titans escaped with the win, then, you know, you should be happy. I think that that's kind of where, where we come away with this one. We did see today for, well, I mean, I don't know. Last week's game was weird against the Rams because the defense was so good and it was such a, a shocking performance on one hand to see them just go in and dominate the Rams like they did first game without Derrick Henry, all, all that kind of stuff. So all that was kind of baked into what we saw, what we talked about last week. Um, not quite as rosy, so to speak, this week with this win, um, a little bit ugly. But, like I said, I mean, you're coming away with a win uh, against a team with a really good defense, a team that was limited on offense. We knew that coming in. So it was just kind of one of those deals where you felt like if the Titans could take care of the ball, be opportunistic when they got a short field and that kind of stuff, they were going to be able to win, and that's what we saw. Now, you know, the game changes a little bit if the the pick that Ryan Tannehill threw in the end zone that ends up getting overturned because of a roughing the passer call. If that call isn't made, which is was not necessarily the best call, um, if, that's, if that call isn't made, then maybe we're having a different conversation. Don't know. I mean, obviously a lot of things would have changed had that, had that call not have been made. But at the end of the day, Titans get a win, and, and that's kind of, you know, just kind of from, from the top. I mean, just when you look at it from a, you know, a really, you know, 10,000-foot view, that that should be the most important thing that we come away with here, right? Right, yeah. The uh, the Titans are 8-2. Are and two. They have a one-and-a-half game lead in the AFC. They have won six games in a row, that, which has a lot of historical implications tied to it. You know, the Titans, with their six game winning streak it's their first six game winning streak since i believe 2008 um they they have are they the first team in the afc to eight wins nobody else has more than six um they they handle uh one of the three remaining difficult teams on their schedule and and get a w at home against the saints leaving them just with the the Steelers and the Patriots as the other two games that are pretty difficult. Outside of that, the rest of the games are games the Titans absolutely should be expected to win, barring some significant changes. Um, and so all of those things, in terms of just survive in advance, great news for the Titans, obviously. Um, in terms of the game itself, you know, it was really ugly. Um, it was an ugly win. It was a, kind of a textbook ugly win, and um, like you said, I think if if you were being realistic, that was what you probably expected coming into it. This team 
continues to find ways to win. And you can tell that the culture is carrying it in a lot of ways in that regard in terms of them being able to win games that they either don't have any business winning or um, are not playing well enough to necessarily win. And in a, in a game like this, you know, they played just well enough um, to to get the victory. And it really, it really came down to, despite them not playing altogether that well and and by they I'm I'm talking primarily about the offense the defense did a pretty good job um a much better first half than second half but altogether they they had a decent day um the offense although they're not playing well at the moment first of all again I don't think that that is something that should actually I know that that's not something that should be shocking Derrick Henry is the most dynamic playmaker that the Titans have. He's one of the top five dynamic playmakers in the entire league. And for them to suddenly lose him, a guy that not necessarily, you know, defined the team on the offensive offensive side of the ball, but the offense oftentimes revolved around him and his presence. The idea that in one or two games, they were suddenly going to be able to, continue rolling down the road in the same fashion they had been with offensive efficiency is really not is really not something that I think is a fair expectation. And so coming into this game, expecting it to look pretty similar to last game in particular, because last game they were healthier on offense, at least at the wide receiver position, you know, Julio Jones was, in the game in LA and and finished the game. He wasn't there today. Um, This is a team that, that despite not playing well is not making crucial mistakes. The the biggest mistake that they're really making is they're continuing to have a bit of a dropping problem. But outside of that, they're not, they're not turning the ball over They're They're taking care of the ball. They're um, the play calling has been relatively smart in my opinion, in terms of, um, pacing the game, you know, continuing to to construct drives where the offense is that road grading offense that is going to you know possess the heck out of the ball and bleed the clock and beat you up and death by a thousand cuts down the field with a couple of you know explosive plays mixed in there that that seems to continue to be the philosophy in terms of offensive play calling and and that's a good thing in my opinion but they just they just are surviving right now um and and although i think that's not un, you know something that should be unexpected it is something that i i i know that the team obviously is mindful of the idea that you know they are just barely scraping by at the moment on offense but I think that's something that fans have to be aware of. It's a it's a bit of um, a duality as if you're a fan coming off of a game like that. An ugly win is kind of a weird one to process because, you know, a win's a win's a win. But um, you know that that performance, if you put up that performance against every team in the league, um, or if you put up that performance in a playoff game, you, you can't feel great about winning the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you said... When you lose the guy that, I mean, whatever you want to say, Ryan Tannehill has obviously been very good, um, but the offense ran through Derrick Henry. And so when you don't have him, 
it, it, you knew it was going to take some time for them to figure it out. Now, um, I, hopefully, they once they get to the playoffs, they will have Derrick Henry back. That kind of remains to be seen. But being able to figure it out as they go here and get you know these two wins. Next week's obviously a big one as well, an AFC game in the division, all of those things. But for them to be able to get these two games that were – Again, like like you said, I mean, the, now the Patriots are starting to look like a really good team, right? I mean, they put it on the Browns today, um, but you know the NFL <laughs> things weird things happen. But to be able to get these these games against teams that are good, I mean, the Saints obviously have their limitations, especially on offense, but their defense is still really good. Um, to be able to to string that together and win, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to learn how to win these types of games. I mean, all those things are important. But th- there is there is a level of concern that you know now you're you're down Derrick Henry, you're down Julio, who you know in case you didn't know they put him on IR I guess on Saturday, so he's gone for at least three weeks. They've got two more Which games. Means four weeks. Right. They've got two more games and then the bye. So there's there's some time there for him to hopefully get you know, as healthy as he can get and then ho- hopefully be able to give them what they need down the stretch. And listen, if, if he is productive in January, that's all that really matters. That That's the thing that we kind of have to look forward to is yep. if they can get him to the playoffs, have him on the field. We've seen when he's on the field, he can still be productive. Um, but they just, the, the issue has been him consistently being on the field. I mean, we, we all know that, but this is this is a good win, and like I said, there's the you know there's the pass inter- or I mean the roughing the passer call. There's the fact that the Saints kicker missed two extra points. I mean it's a, it's a different conversation if he makes at least one of those. I mean I mean all those things are certainly in play, but they're they're figuring it out as they go. Um, speaking of the run game, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Watching the game, it looked like Deontay Foreman should be the lead guy. I mean, when you when you just watch him run versus watching Adrian Peterson run, it looks like Foreman has a little bit more juice. It looks like he's able to push the pile and all that kind of stuff. Now, when you go look at the box score, their numbers are, are basically identical. Um, you know, Foreman went 11 carries for 30 yards. Peterson went 8 carries for 21 yards. So that's 2.7 yards per carry for Foreman, 2.6 yards per, per carry for, for Peterson. Now, Again, I think watching the game, I think there's a little bit more separation there. But at the end of the day, it, it all kind of averages out. Again, this is something that, that they're going to figure out as they go, and they're going to be able to figure out the mixture of, of how they should get those guys in and, and work them in and out, all that stuff. But, I mean, you were there. What did you think watching those two running backs in this game? Yeah, the box score does not reflect the eye test with the running back situation right now at all. Um, Deontay Foreman is the better back, in my opinion. Here's the difference, right? In the second half of the game, when the defensive line, the Saints defensive line, their their run-stopping defense is starting to wear down like all defenses do in second halves of games. And the offensive line for the Titans was able to get a decent push. The AP and, and Deontay Foreman looked very comparable to one another. Um, when there was when there was some room to work, they looked very comparable, although their running styles are different. In the first half of the game, when there really wasn't much, the Saints have the best run defense in the league. They were stuffing all of the gaps. The Titans' offensive line was not really getting any push whatsoever. Um, they were getting blown up on a lot of run plays. 
the difference between the two players is really, really evident. And I, you know, I was saying maybe they just need to make Deontay Foreman the first half back and Adrian Peterson the second half back because Foreman, first of all, when you see these these three guys in person, McNichols, Foreman, and, Pe- and Peterson, Foreman is is notably larger than the other two. He's built like a smaller version of Derrick Henry, whereas AP and Jeremy McNichols are built more like Adrian Peterson, right? Totally different body type. Um, and because of that build that Foreman has, his run style, his ability to be a bully between the tackles, which is the run style that the Titans are familiar with. It's what they've been successful with, with Derrick Henry. He is able to take nothing and turn it into something on run plays that you see a lot in the in the first half of games where Derrick Henry, you know, would would seemingly have nothing, but just based on the way that he runs and his size, he's able to fall forward for a yard, two yards, three yards, right? Um, and doesn't necessarily need the offensive line's help to accomplish that. When you see McNichols and AP run in those situations, it is almost always no gain or a loss. Um, and so the, their their build and their run style is completely different. I, I've said, you know, and I was not alone in this, there were a number of people that said that they expected Foreman to probably carve out a role for himself as the primary back when they assembled this this backfield uh, last week or two weeks ago rather, and and I think that is is quickly becoming the case. Peterson, his ability—I mentioned this to you—his ability to move laterally, which you know his his ability to get side to side and get past guys in a lot of ways is one of the elite skill sets that is, you know, defining of Adrian Peterson. It's what, you know, he did for years and years and ran the league and it's what's going to get him into the hall of fame. And he still clearly has an ability in that department that the other running backs on the Titans do not. He still has um, that, that lateral uh, agility that is maybe not elite anymore, but it is different than anything else the Titans have to offer. And so you saw that a good bit in the second half of the game, and that's a useful skill. And I think that's a useful skill in particular uh, down around the red zone. I think that it should really, I think that the, and this is how I, I think that the roles will kind of carve themselves out over the coming weeks. I expect Deontay Foreman to be the primary back between the, the 20s. Um, I think that they'll have AP be the primary red zone uh, back on on first and second down. He's he's more effective in the red zone. I think that that's how he's been used the past couple of seasons with previous teams. You know, he was a kind of a red zone uh, guy in Detroit. He was a, definitely a red zone guy in Washington. I think that's how the Titans will end up using him primarily. And then, of course, McNichols will continue to be that third down back. Um, which we were talking about this, you know, McNichols is great and he's a great run blocker, or not run blocker, pass blocker and uh, pass catcher. But we, he, I don't think the Titans really need him to be taking carries. Um, I think between Foreman and Peterson, the two of them can handle that. So I kind of expect that to be the roles to that, that will be taken by these guys. And um, I, I don't think Peterson looks ineffective by any means but it's it's different with foreman what's your level of concern with the offensive line going forward because like you said i mean the saints have a very good run defense 
Um, so we knew that you know th- those yards would be hard to come by in this game. But if you've been watching this team all year, even with Derrick Henry, even with everybody healthy, the offensive line has struggled at times, both run blocking and pass blocking. Now, they haven't had everybody healthy, it doesn't seem like, for – I mean, I don't know how many games they've had. They, I don't think they've finished. They've started and finished with all five in any game this season. You've had injuries. Today was the closest they've come. Yeah. They had and, two guys play the entire game, and the other three guys came out for very short stretches. Right. It was, it was like all but, I think, 15 collective snaps or something. And so it was good. It was good to see Lawan back out there. Um, he missed a play or two um, at some point. I, I'm not sure what happened there. It but, was cramps. Um, he said okay. he, he promptly came back in after. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. So of he snaps. was back in. And, and I mean, listen, there. We'll have a conversation about Taylor Lawan after this season going forward. All of that um, during the offseason. I mean, there, there'll be a time to have that That's, conversation. Yeah. But right now, this team is absolutely. A, a lot better with him on the field. Say what you want about anything oh, else. Oh, without a yeah, doubt. But that is that is certainly the case as, as we sit here right now. Um, but there there is concern with right tackle, in my opinion. Um, I still think they're not where they need to be there. I think Westenberry has done a, a good enough job, but um, it'd be nice to be a little bit better over there. But, I, I mean, is this offensive line good enough to – you know, help them win a game when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to, you know, the time where you've got to be able to line up and, you know, four minutes left in the game, you've got a three-point lead, you need to run out the clock. Is this offensive line, I mean, let's say you've got your five out there, is it good enough to, to help them put away a game like it has been in years past? Yes. Uh, in terms of talent level, I think that it is. Um, and I think it hinges entirely on health and not just health of all of the players, but, but frankly, I think the success of this offensive line hinges almost entirely on Taylor Lewan's ability to be in the game. He dealt with, uh, issues in terms of skill earlier in the season when he was still clearly very rusty coming in off of the, you know, the, the big knee injury and everything, um, and so in that first game or two, especially the first game, he looked really bad. But since then, he's been back to his old self in many ways. He's not um, he's not played incredible, but when he's played, you haven't heard from him, which is what you want from your lineman, right? And so I don't think that um, it's even something that should be entertained, the idea that – actually, I did not think. I know that it shouldn't be entertain, entertained, the idea that – that Lawan is in any way the problem here outside of the fact that he's the problem when he's not there. He, his, his absence is the problem. And you saw that, you know, epitomized today when he went out for one play, or excuse me, the first play that he went out of the game on today, they sent in uh, uh, Corey Levin, I believe. Uh, I, I could, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Corey Levin. Apologies to Corey if it wasn't you, but I think it's you, and this was your fault. Um, whoever sure, came I'm in, sure he's listening, so I'm glad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Corey, <laughs> I'm talking to you, buddy. Uh, when when you or whoever it was came in to replace Taylor Lewan, the first play, the the Saints D lineman had that replacement tackle pick, you know, picked him up, pushed him back on top of Ryan Tannehill for the first sack of the game, um, and and that's really what the situation is with and without Taylor Lewan because not only does his absence 
impact the left side of the line. It impacts the entire line. Taylor Lewan remains the most secure anchor for this for this uh, offensive line, in particular when he has the other guy that I think can can be that anchor, um, uh, Roger Saffold over there on the left side with them. In games where David Questenberry or or Nate Davis or whoever they have in for Nate Davis because Nate isn't playing very well, uh, you know Aaron Brewer or Corey Levin or whatever in at right guard. Those guys need help in a number in a number of games this year. That's been the case in a number of games going forward. That's going to be the case that that side of the line is going to need help, um, regardless of who's in there, whether it's the starters or not. Because again, like you said, the starters are not on their own super high level NFL starting lineman. Questenberry has been very serviceable. And when you have Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold holding down that left side of the line, the help that they're able to give to that right side of the line is able to compensate just the little bit that those guys over there need to make the line be a really, really good unit. Right. Um, but when you lose a guy like Lewan over there on the left and you can't leave him on an Island, because, because you, can't, you can't attribute help everywhere, right? right? On any, any given play, you have to choose, okay, we're going to help over here. We're going we're gonna to shift the line. Uh, you know, we're going to have Ben Jones pick up a guy uh, to double team on, on the right side as opposed to you know, helping on the left side. And so we're going to leave Lawan and Saffold on an island over here. Um, you can't do that if you can't trust the guys on the left side of the line. Um, and with Lawan and Saffold, Lawan in particular, you can trust them to do that one-on-one for the most part. Um, but it all falls apart when he's not in there. And we saw that a lot in in the Rams game most recently, right? We saw poor Bobby Hart out there trying his best, but his best is really, really bad. Um, and they not only does that impact the line's ability to play, but obviously that impacts the entire offense because the offensive playbook gets cut in half, if not more, when you can't get a consistent pass block, you can't pass the ball down the field because there's no time for the receivers to get down there. And so it's just a snowballing effect. It really does the amount of success for this offense, or the, the amount, the amount that the success of this offense hinges on Taylor will want individually outside of Ryan Tannehill. Frankly, I'm not sure there's another player on the offense, including AJ Brown, that is more important to the success of this offense than Taylor Lewan being in just because of the state of the depth of this offensive line. He has to be that anchor. If you don't have him at an anchor, it's a disaster. Yeah. And that's a couple points there. One, the, the, the reason I brought the Lawan conversation, I don't know if you saw much of this, but on Twitter this week, there was a little bit of, they need to get rid of Lawan and move on and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's just stupid. Like I yeah. guess you're mad at him because you don't like his personality or He's been in and out of games. Like, I understand all that. And like you said, the first game against the Cardinals, he was obviously just getting back and learning to trust the knee and, and all that kind of stuff. But to act like that this team would be better right now without him is ridiculous. Um, on Bobby Hart, the, the guy's a right tackle, and he's not a great right tackle. And so when you've got him as your left tackle, that's a problem. And then to your point that you made, like, there's only so many places you can help. And if you've already you're already figuring you you need to help on the right side, you, you just you can't help on both sides of the line because then you've got nobody in a pass route, right? I mean, there's it's right. Another, there's all kinds of just things that that brings up. And if you've got two tight ends too. and the fullback and the halfback all blocking, suddenly there's no one to pass to, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't matter how good your receivers are. They, Correct. They can, they can take those guys. Well, there's away. two guys out there getting covered by seven that drops right. into coverage, and exactly. you're just done. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, important points to, to remember there. Uh, one more thing on the offense before we move over to the defense. Um, it was really good to see Marcus Johnson today come on. Um, a guy Super that, impressive. Yeah, that, that had gotten a lot of buzz in training camp and then had had injuries and, you know, just different stuff that had happened um, that had, you, you know, it kept him off the field and then just getting him back in the rhythm and, and being behind A.J. and Julio, I mean, all those things. But um, good to see him step up and, and be a viable second option here in the passing game while Julio is out. So, I mean, that, that's an important thing, and it's good to have depth there. You know, they thought Josh Reynolds was going to be that guy. They moved on from Josh Reynolds this week, um, and just he had, it just didn't work here for whatever reason. Um, you know, not, not to, to spend too much time on that. But the question that I have is, in this game, A.J. Brown has one catch for 16 yards. He only had four targets. It, should they be manufacturing targets to him? I, I just feel like that they should be doing some stuff to get the ball in his hands. They haven't made a concerted effort to do that. And, and I mean, I'm sure like it's easy for me to sit here and say that. I'm not Todd Downing. I don't have all the information and all, all the stuff that he, that he has. But it just seems like they should be doing more things to get the ball in his hands because at this point he is undoubtedly their biggest playmaker. Oh, without a doubt, in terms of skill position on the offense, he is, um, you know, miles better at playmaking than anybody else uh, currently active on the roster. Um, it's tricky, right? That's why I'm kind of stumbling over my words because I'm I'm fighting with myself in my head. With with an offense like this, with the quarterback like 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 Ryan Tannehill. And it's not to disparage Ryan Tannehill or anything. I think this is the case with almost every quarterback in the entire league outside of, like, probably the Rodgers and the Mahomes of the league. And even those guys, like Mahomes, you can see when they try to force stuff, sometimes it works, but sometimes, like this year, it hasn't worked, right? Trying to force the ball to certain guys. Um You see with a guy like Baker Mayfield, who I, I think Tannehill is a markedly better quarterback then, but to take him as an example, when he's trying to manufacture these plays to a guy like Odell, who's you know this big playmaker, you it, it the man the manufactured stuff doesn't really work all the time, um, and you can't force chemistry. And obviously, the chemistry that Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown have is is significant in comparison to the. I mean, I'm not sure you can even call what Odell and Baker had chemistry because they were just never on the same page. But with a guy like AJ, you have, and I think that the last two weeks have been a a bad, uh, not sample size, a bad spot for getting him the ball more, just because of what he's gone up against. He went up against Jalen Ramsey last game. The combination of dealing with the elite cornerback um, play from Jalen Ramsey and having you know an, another drops game of his, where he's dealing with these inexplicable mental error drops that he deals with that he has to get over every so often that that made that a really bad spot. And then today him being the only on paper viable receiving option, Marcus Johnson luckily ended up stepping up in a big way for the Titans. But on paper, he was the guy that the saints had circled, right? Julio Jones was not in the equation today. Um, And so they, they put, they put their elite cornerback on him and that changes the game in a lot of ways for a guy like A.J. Brown. I'd, I'm really interested to go watch the tape because 
I would guess that he was dealing with some really pesky uh, man coverage for a lot of the game. And the Titans were taking what was open to them. And in a game like today, what was open to them a lot of the times was Marcus Johnson wide open. Um, And so I don't think as long as you have somebody stepping up like a Marcus Johnson, who's going to have a hundred yard game, because if, if you had asked me that question and the Titans had, you know, 112 yards passing today, then I would probably have given you a different answer in terms of like, yeah, they should be manufacturing more to AJ Brown. But I believe they had around 200, if not more, uh, passing yards today, and you had a hundred yard game from from uh, Marcus Johnson. And so, if you've got a guy who's going to be that playmaker, whether it's AJ Brown or not, I don't think it's that big a deal to force things his way. Obviously, a game like today where he do you did you have the stat on how many touches he ended up having today aj he had one catch he had one carry and he had four targets okay yeah so like that on any on any given day if you're the titans you don't love that but i think it it has a lot to do with the game script it has a lot to do with the situation is there another guy in the receiving game stepping up um because i don't like think about it this way He's even if Julio was playing in this game, I think we would both still say that he's the biggest playmaker on this offense outside of Derrick Henry, right? Yeah. So if Julio was the one in this game who had a hundred yard game, we probably wouldn't be like, oh, but they should get AJ the ball more because there was somebody else doing that today. And, you know, it the team benefits all the same, whether it's AJ getting a hundred yards in five catches, or it's Marcus Johnson getting a hundred yards in five catches, or it's Julio Jones, or and so just the idea that oh, Marcus Johnson can't be your lead receiver. Well, I don't care who your receiver is. If you're getting 100 yards on five catches, then like somebody's making plays out there, you know. So it's yes, he's a AJ Brown is a playmaker. I, I'm giving kind of a cop out answer. Yes, he's a playmaker. You need to give him the ball more. But also, I don't think you should be too concerned with forcing it to one guy when there's somebody else out there making plays. No, that's a, it's a really good point, and it's a really good point to the the strength of Ryan Tannehill to not have to lock in on AJ and force him the ball even when it's not there. Um, so I mean, I do think that's a really good point, and it, like I said, as long as you've got somebody else stepping up, they're they're going to be okay. So it, hopefully that. Continues. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think they should be getting him the ball more in like just forcing it his way more? What even if it's like if if you saw a game like today. If if he had you know two completions on nine targets and it was Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball his way a lot of the time where you know we'd go back on the tape and be like what you know why is he throwing AJ's double covered and you've got a guy sitting here in the flat because that I feel like it'd be that would be the conversation then it's like why are they forcing it to AJ Brown when there's these other guys they have other options yeah no and that's I mean that's kind of why I asked you the question because I didn't really want to answer it and, I mean like you did it was just, you know it's, it's, it's kind of circular there right because yeah exactly in, in theory yes but it it didn't matter today and as long as somebody is stepping up I, I'll just be interested to kind of see what that looks like going forward and listen and that's really the key right yeah. because if it, if it comes to a game where there isn't somebody else stepping up then the answer is absolutely yes you should like they should not try to forge ahead through through um a really a really poor offensive production day like if if they get to the second half of the of the game and they've just gotten nothing going they they've you know gone three and out five times already they should not try to forge ahead distributing the ball to the Jeff Swaims and the Nick Westbrook Aquinas of the world 
and not to disparage those guys, but it's like, if you have to, if you're desperate to get something to happen, then yes, you force stuff to AJ Brown all day, all day, all day. Right. Um, and that's the difference. If there's somebody making plays, then no, but if there's not, then you got to get into the playmaker. And hopefully Marcus Johnson is that guy, right? I mean, he looked like it in training camp. He if he like can he stay healthy, preseason. he's yeah. got the physical traits for it. It's the health with yeah. him. It's the and health. It was, it was just funny because we all we came into training camp thinking, okay, you've got AJ, you've got Julio, you've got Josh Reynolds, the guy that presumably they were okay with Josh Reynolds being their two before they made that trade for Julio. Um, but, you know, that... Unless you're Rex Road, then it was NWI. <laughs> right, then... yeah, right, of course. Um, but... Listen, Marcus Johnson has stepped up, and credit to John Robinson. I mean, I'm probably more critical of John Robinson than anybody else uh, in on Titans Twitter. Are but you? I've not seen anything about that. <laughs> he's, but listen, his, the, the best thing that John Robinson does is find guys, you know, middle to late rounds and undrafted guys to come in and, and be, or, you know, free agents that, that nobody else wanted or, or whatever. Um, find those guys that can come in and, and be a fit here. He's done a really, really good job of that. In fact, his diamond in the rough hit hit uh, rate is yeah, significantly and, better than his big money hit right. rate. If it, you are th- this is something that you drive home all the time, and you are right about this. Yeah, and if it wasn't for that, it, I mean, there there would be some you know big time problems on this team, right? Because the oh, top yeah. the top parts of drafts have not been good for the most part. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, as long as somebody else is stepping up and doing it, I'm just interested to see as the season goes on, how that continues to play out. So, um, that, that'll be something that we'll be keeping an eye on. And again, they're figuring things out and they're going to continue to figure things out without Derrick Henry, you know, to hopefully get them to the point where Derrick Henry comes back. They've been able to do it so far. Hopefully that continues. All right. Now flipping to the defensive side of the ball, um, this defense has, I mean, it just, it, they continue to surprise me. And I don't know, I mean, the personnel is different this year. Um, we, we talked last week a lot about Danico Audrey and Danico Audrey and how huge that addition has been. Um, there, the, the defense is good. I mean, I asked the question, you know, like three or four weeks ago, is this defense good? I, I think we've answered that question now. The defense is yes. good. The defense yeah. is going to be able to, keep them in games and win games. And they, they won the Rams game last week. Um, so there's no doubt about that. Harold Landry gets his 10th sack today, career high for him. He has come in to be the guy that the Titans drafted him to be, right, and, and that we all hoped he could be. He, he stepped up there, and, and, and in large part a product of being able to get that push up the middle that they just couldn't get last year. So that's force really, multiplication, yeah. Yeah, that's really good to see. Um, you know, <laughs> excited about Bud Dupree. He was coming on, starting to look healthy. He goes out early in this one with an abdominal injury. They ruled him out. Like really curious, they, right? You yeah. like you assumed it was another knee setback yeah, and then an abdominal yeah. injury that and, no one really got an eye of what happened. He disappeared without the trace, and it was. Yeah. I'm very. That's something we'll definitely keep an eye on this yeah, week because they ruled him out. I mean, it was you know immediately he's out abdominal. I mean, it was there was no like questionable. Okay, now he's out. I mean, he was out. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that is. Um, you know, you know how long that's going to keep him out. But I mean, can you think of guys who've had abdominal injuries in the past? Like, what is is it ribs that they typically? Like, what is the typical injury when they rule an abdominal? Like some type of core strain. You, you know, like a sports hernia type. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's what I'm really just yeah, something I'm, like that. I'm scratching my head on. Right, and again, it is concerning that it was just immediate not coming back today. So we'll keep an eye on how that goes. But even with right. him not out there, they were able to continue to create pressure. 
um, which was obviously the, the biggest thing that they could not do last year. They could <laughs> not get any pressure on the quarterback. You know, talked about the historic, how bad they were on third downs last year, in large part due to the fact they couldn't get pressure. And guys can't cover forever. I mean, it doesn't matter how good they are. They can't, they can't cover forever. Right. But that's not the problem this year. They're able to, to, to get pressure. Um, you got Christian Fulton back today. Obviously, that's a big upgrade from, from whatever else they're going to have out there. Not to disparage guys. I mean, Chris Jackson has, has stepped up and played really well for this team. Again, well, he had until today. Guy, well, yeah, he didn't, play, he didn't play great today. But before today, he had been good. Another guy that, you know, like a seventh, I think he's a seventh-round pick. Yep. Um, so a guy that, that has come in and, and been able to be productive uh, from that standpoint. Uh, Jackrabbit Jenkins has started to come into his own. He's playing well for the most part. Um, you know, there were a couple of lapses there today, but that wheel route that Mark Ingram went on, uh, that's probably a touchdown if, if Jenkins doesn't get in there and get his hands on the ball because, yep. I mean, I think he was going to catch that ball if not for that. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's starting to come together in the back end. The front end has been good all year. And so, again, I just I feel like whatever the – I think there were personnel issues last year, absolutely. I think there were also absolutely – coordination, communication, whatever you want to call them issues. That was certainly a thing last year. They seem to have worked that out this year. And yes. again, it's, it's just one of those things where if, if everybody can be on the same page, know what they're supposed to do. And, I mean, Kevin Byard even said something to that extent this week, basically to where now he understands the defense well enough to not only know what he's doing but what other guys are supposed to be doing as well. And that allows him to come off of his assignment last week to – to make that interception on a Matthew Stafford pass, the combination of, you know, film study and knowing where everybody else is. You can freelance back there now. Yeah, he's able to come up and make that play. Where last year that just was not happening for, uh, it seemed like, a variety of reasons. Right. So, I I mean, you have to be just encouraged by what you see from this defense. And, you know, last year it was always like, hey – they got to get 30 or they're probably not going to win. It didn't really matter who they were playing. This right. year you don't feel that way. This year you feel like, okay, even on a, on a day where the offense struggles or even in a period here where you're trying to acclimate to life without Derrick Henry, this defense is good enough that they have multiple ways to win, and that's how you become a team that can make a deep run in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, this defense is is a good unit at this point and if you break it down it is a serviceable secondary it is a very good safety tandem in Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard and it is an elite front four uh, with those guys in the trenches the the defensive line is what makes this uh, defense tick and in the first half of this game in particular you saw that they had another four sack half which was incredibly impressive, uh, led by Harold Landry and and uh, and Jeff Simmons and uh, who somebody else got there. Oh, Naquan Jones got his first sack of his career today, um, and so you know even even their depth pieces in guys like Tierra Tart and Naquan Jones and um, uh, uh, guy whose name is escaping me. Anyways, they have a lot of depth on the defensive line. Yeah. Um, they they are what makes this this team tick on the defensive side of the ball. We saw in the second half of this game, you know, they weren't getting it. They all four of their sacks came in the first half. I'm really curious tomorrow to see once the numbers officially come out, um, where we see the number of pressures 
uh, in the game from each guy. I, I, I want to see what the pressure breakdown was by half because it felt like in the second half, Trevor Simeon was given a lot more time to throw, and that's where the secondary starts to show a lot of its warts, right? And with a guy like uh, Fulton coming back, that's a big help, but you've still got guys back there that are prone to have really bad games. Who Chris Jackson, I think, seemingly had his best game of his career, in my opinion at least, last uh, Sunday on Sunday Night Football. But then maybe, I don't have to look at the box score, but he may have had a career worst day today. Uh, it was really not his day, really uh, bad, just bad performance. There wasn't a, a much great to say about him today. But yeah, the Titans defense is really good and it has to be really encouraging for Titans fans. Um, and it, it's kind of all happened at once. You know, this defense has very quickly turned around in terms of coordination and in terms of just pure talent. Their abilities now are so much more far-reaching than they were a year ago from today. And it is a unit that is capable of carrying this team when the offense isn't scoring, you know, 30 automatic every game. And it's so funny. And the people that actually watch the Titans and understand kind of how football works uh, knew the impact that Jeffrey Simmons had even last year, you know, he was getting double teamed and all those types of things. But now with other pieces around him, I mean, he gets two more sacks today. He's a guy that's just blowing stuff up. I mean, he he's going to be – in the conversation as an all pro certainly should be a pro bowler. No doubt about that. Um, but it's just, it's fun to see his development. And again, you, you know, for, again, for all the, the stuff with John Robinson to, to make that pick on that guy coming off the ACL, the off the field stuff, whatever um, to, to see the ability of that guy and to go ahead and say, look, we're willing to have, you know, half a season where he's not, there because he's he's rehabbing an injury to know the impact that he was going to be able to have down the road. Um, that's that's been a really a really fun thing, and again, it, it's fun to see him be able to put up those numbers that you knew he was capable of when there was just anything else that an offense had to account for. Right, um, and now that there's multiple things that they have to account for to see him be dominant, it's it, it's really fun, and it's got to be it's got to be satisfying for him as well because oh, he, knew, he knew what he was doing and he knew what he was up against and, and all those things. And to his credit, he never, never complained, never, never said anything about that stuff. But now to see him being able to impact games like he is, I mean, that's a, that's a really big thing and a really, I mean, that's a guy that you can build around and a guy that allows you to not be as good in some other positions because of the plays that he's making. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's, he and uh, Danico Autry have been the linchpin of this defense, and if they continue to play at the level that they're playing, um, along with Harold Landry, who's also playing at that incredibly elite level, I think this defense is capable of being a, a top 10 unit in the league, even if their secondary is kind of being propped up by an incredible front end and an incredible back end. Yeah, and it's just it's funny how conversations change. It's funny how football works right because we came into this year saying listen if, if this defense can just push to a middle of the pack type deal right that's what i was that's, saying that's it's, it's, it's need, changed right? so quickly it has really changed so quickly and it's been exclusively that front four yeah it's been the it's been the pass rush and, and who knows where they would be if that wasn't there Right, and I mean, if they were just a middle of the pack, if they were just a little bit better than they were last year, which is really all we were asking for coming in, I, it'd be a different conversation. Well, but, they wouldn't currently have a seventy-five percent chance of having the one seed in the AFC. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's crazy. And so, I mean, you know, kind of transitioning into that, like you said, they've got a, a game-and-a-half lead here on the rest of the AFC. Um, obviously, the the Ravens laying an egg against the Dolphins on Thursday night certainly helped those chances and all of that. But, I mean, when you start to look forward, like you said, you've got a couple of games on paper that that look really tough. Now, there's going to be – there's going to be a game or two in there that surprises you. Um, you know, have the Dolphins found something? Maybe. I mean, that's a game that, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were, I mean, at the beginning of the year it looked tough, and a couple of weeks ago you're like, well, you know, the Dolphins are pretty bad. Their defense is starting to play a little bit better. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes over the next couple of well, weeks. Well, and, 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 and that game's in January, right? So who knows, you right. know. Yeah, it's what the, that's a, lo- a lot of things can change for that Dolphins team and for this Titans team yeah. from between now and then. Right, absolutely. And you have to figure at some point that the injury luck is going to swing the other way for the Titans, right? I mean, to be able to do what they've done with all the injuries that they have is unbelievable. It's a reason that Mike Vrabel should certainly be in the conversation for Coach of the Year just because yep. of what they've been able to put together with the guys that they missed. And, again, you're not talking about they've got, you know, this guy that was a, a, a fringe starter that's out and this guy here. I mean, you're talking about guys. They lost they, those guys, and they also lost and, the starters. Yeah, and they lost the, their really good, <laughs> yeah. you know, star players. So, yeah. I, I mean, to be able to do what they've done with all that considered is really amazing. And, again, we just keep having the conversation every week, and, and we talked when the Derrick Henry, Derek Henry injury happened survive in advance, get through this stretch without him, and now you know they're 2-0 and without him, which is, which is really unbelievable. And, I mean, I don't know. It, it, you just feel like they're going to be in every game. There's not going to be a situation that they, that they can't handle. Even if the offense is off, the defense picks them up. If the defense is struggling, the offense has been able to pick them up. And, again, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you try not to get too high. And like you said, that game's in January. A lot of things can change. Things change from week to week very drastically in the NFL. But it just feels like they're putting together a recipe for a team that is going to be able to make a deep run. Yeah, they, you know, like you said, with the injury luck, I'm not sure that it, the pendulum will necessarily swing in the other direction. But, um, well, it just has to stop going so bad. So you'd right? think I mean, it would just be static, yeah. right? <laughs> if it would just stop, um, you know. That's they they speaking of having seen having seen them in person the last couple of weeks. Um, well, I guess not the last couple of weeks. This week and a couple of weeks ago, um, they look like a team, especially today, that that is really beat up. They look like a team that is desperate for that really really late buy <laughs> week thirteen buy that they've got, um, and so they just need to survive and advance to get to that week thirteen buy. Um, they they have two games left. One against a team they absolutely should beat, and one against a team um, that is it's going to be a really tough road game. But then that that buy sets yeah, them up I mean, really well yeah. for you know the 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 downside to having a really late buy is you get really beat up and you get to this point of the season where it's like man they really could use that right now. Um, but the the good thing is you get to have that buy so late that you play five games and then it's playoff time. Right. And so where other teams that had, you know, the week five buy, you know, in a couple of weeks, they'll be like, man, it feels like the buy was a million years ago. We really could use another buy. Um, it's going to set them up really well in particular, if they have a buy and then play five games and then have a buy and then get to play, play, play in the playoff games. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So they just, they need that buy really badly and they need to get healthy. And I think getting to that buy will be really helpful, but, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a team that's beat up right now, and it's been really impressive how that how much they've accomplished despite being so beat up, you know, as bad or worse than any other team in the league. And you've still got the Thursday night game to come, so you still get a little mini buy off of that. I mean, obviously, tough right. short week there, but you get that extra rest later in the season too. So I mean, hopefully, some things will start to <laughs> just swing back that direction or at least stop swinging so badly against them. So, right. Um, I don't know any, anything else we need to hit on from today. No, frankly, I'm exhausted. I'm running on four hours of sleep and I'm ready, I'm ready yeah. to go to bed. Shut it down. I'm sure I've got many more things that my less tired brain will have to say on my podcast later this week. Right. But, uh, and as you get to watch the, watch the tape and all that stuff, I mean, more stuff becomes evident. This is, this is one of those games where, yeah, there's not a ton in terms of narrative at the moment. I think a lot of it's going to come from what's the health situation. Um, what's the breakdown of the film when we get to like, look back at it. What is what is the state of this team in comparison to the rest of the league? Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting going into not this week, but the following week in New England. That game, I mean, is I, I tweeted this out earlier today. Is there a team in the league that you just anybody would less like to see right now than the New England Patriots? They look like they are hot right now. Yeah, starting starting to figure it out for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So, so that'll do it for us tonight. Like I said, this is Home Run Throwback. Find that wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Easton has his podcast, Titans 10, um, which you can find wherever you get your podcast as well, all part of Broadway Sports Media. So uh, be sure and check broadwaysportsmedia.com out this week as well. Again, for all the analysis from this game and looking forward to the Texans game. So. For Easton Freeze, this is Jimmy Morris saying thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Brought to you by Broadway Sports Media.